Hello, and welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, host and independent author of sci-fi and fantasy books, father of five, full-time worker, homesteader, and a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to talk to you about what it's like to be an author, how we can prioritize and be productive, and how we can be encouraged to know that despite our busyness, we can still make the best of our authoring. To learn more about me, my books, or access the podcast show notes, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. Let's get started. Hey there, it's Dan Kenner, host of The Casual Author. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2023, as I record this, and this is episode number 68 of the podcast. Today we're talking to J. Gabriel Gates about the differences, pros and cons of publishing uh, traditionally versus independently publishing. So he has some great experience with both sides of publishing. We had talk a little bit about that, ask some questions, and I learned more about what he's experienced in publishing both ways. So that's later on in the uh, in the podcast. We'll we'll get there before we get into the interview. Of course, we'll start with the updates in terms of homesteading updates. I think it's funny how I just kind of pick a random one to start with. And, you know, that's <laughs> I talk about how I just pants my books and make it up as I go. I feel like this podcast is in some ways very similar to that. I mean, I obviously plan ahead of time the conversations, the interviews that I'm putting in. But in terms of updates, it's hard to know ahead of time because, you know, I do this weekly and it just depends on what happens each week. But homestead updates. So, um... I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but the kittens were born. So Wilma is the the oldest cat that we have. This will be her third litter of kittens. Um, We do plan on uh, fixing her, so to speak, so she won't be able to have more kittens soon. But in the meantime, um, we do appreciate that she has the kittens. So in our neighborhood, we we all live in the fields, and there's just tons of mice and other rodents and whatnot. And the cats really help keep it at bay. And so fortunately, we do live by a busy road. So it's it's important to continue having cats. So we'll be able to get rid of these kittens pretty easily. We'll give them to our neighbors um, because, it's, you know, they don't have cats or maybe their their cats have passed away for one way or another. So it'll be great once they get old enough. But they are really small still. They're just a few days old and they're all black and gray. So interestingly enough, she never has any other colors other than gray and black. And even more interesting, all the girls, there's three girls and three boys, three of them are gray and three of them are black. I think when I made a YouTube video about the kittens being born, I said that there were seven. Um, There's only six. (laughs) I didn't count them on the YouTube video very well because I didn't want to disturb them. I was just trying to count without touching them. But yeah, there's definitely only six in the pile. So that was my mistake. But other than that, the the chickens are still laying a lot. So I talked a little bit about how they started laying, but just to give you a little bit of perspective on what happened when we changed the chicken feed from the store-bought chicken feed to our homemade chicken feed, we were getting an average of about seven to eight eggs per week until we changed their feed, and now we're getting an average of about 80 eggs. So I'm not joking when I say we're getting 10 times the amount of eggs as we were getting before when we were using the store-bought feed. So that that there's something. If you've got backyard chickens, I recommend making your own chicken feed. I don't know what's going on with the store-bought chicken feed, but there's hard evidence for you that we switched the feed in about a week and a half, two weeks later, we're now getting 80, 90 eggs per week. Which is great, though. We haven't, needed, we haven't needed to buy eggs in a long time, you know, for the past few weeks, which is better. We were having to buy, we go through so many eggs as a family of eight. Um, we haven't needed to buy them, which is great. Saving a little bit on that bill. And it's fun. The colorful eggs are really fun to see. There's a video on my YouTube channel showing you about, you know, what happens when they start laying. Sometimes they come out really teeny. Sometimes they come out huge with double yolks. Anyway, it's just a fun little video. You want to check that out. Now, just a clarification in terms of this podcast, and I just mentioned the YouTube channel before, these podcast episodes are online, at least the interview portions of the podcast. I don't currently put on the introduction beginning portion of the podcast online. I've considered doing it. The reason I haven't is because I do put the video up on online of the episode interview and I don't I don't record video for this introductory portion. So I will need to start 
figuring out how to splice that together. I, I'm sure I can figure it out, but I just haven't taken the time <laughs> to do that yet. I'm still relatively new to the YouTube thing. But if you want to listen to the actual interview portion of the podcast, go online to YouTube. You can find them there. I'm still trying to get the backlist uploaded. It takes more time than I have currently to get that whole backlist up, but I'm working on it. At least the current and new episodes will be up there in time with the podcast episodes. I, I publish them and they go out at about the same time. So you can plan on that if you, if you want to listen on YouTube. I think that's great. So it's a little bit of a tangent, but the homestead's great. Everything's melting, um, which is positive, negative, <laughs> positive because it's not great to trudge through the snow and slip on the, f- everything's completely frozen. It's hard to function in the frozen, but there's a great melt going on right now. The day's ramped up in heat so much, and you're going to laugh because it's 40-ish degrees, 38, 39, 40, which is so warm. I go outside in shorts and t- t-shirt. It feels amazing because um, <laughs> that's so warm to us, but it's causing everything to melt. Now, <laughs> unfortunately, it only melts during the day when the sun's up because the sun, as soon as the sun goes down, it all freezes again normally. It was still warm last night. The reason that's bad is because, one, the temperatures bouncing back and forth can be dangerous to an animal's health. When it goes up and down, they're more susceptible to diseases and sicknesses and whatnot. So we just have to watch our goats very carefully for any coughing, any sneezing. Um, chickens as well don't handle the the variability in temperature. And it's kind of wild right now. You know, it'll be like negative six, feels like negative six outside in the morning. And then later that afternoon, it's like 40 degrees. So pretty big variance. The other reason is everything's melting and causing a huge mess. Um, This house wasn't optimized very well for drainage, which I find so ironic because the people who built this house lived here for, you know, 15, 20 years. Before they moved into this house, they built this house. But there's just not a lot of grading done well. So our garages and shops have run off the water melts and then goes into them and freezes. Now it's all cement floor, so it's not a huge deal. And there are drains, but it's just annoying, right? You go inside a shop and it's frozen. It's like a lake. There's a frozen, I could go ice skating in our shops. Um, so that's not great. The other thing is we actually identified a leak in our roof um, just a couple days ago, our like the roof of our house, which is really not cool. I didn't know this, but apparently there's such a thing as an ice dam. That's what they call them, where essentially it'll melt and then freezes into like a little dam on your roof. And then the water pools on your roof and then it leaks into your roof. Didn't even know this was a thing. Surprise, surprise. So here we are. We're dealing with a roof leak right now. Um, that's been a little bit chaotic, trying to figure out repairing of the damages. The damage isn't extensive, which is good. But who wants to have to cut out drywall and put up fans to dry out because we don't want to deal with mold? Anyway, it's a whole thing. That is what my mind has. I almost considered not doing the episode this week, but I figured, why not? Here, give you an update on what's going on. And it might be a little scrappy, but that's all right. We're we're just going to go along with it. Um, So that's kind of what we're dealing with currently. But in author news, we can go ahead and shift over to that. Exciting. If you haven't seen on social media, I've been kind of wishy-washy on social media recently, but I have made um, the full trilogy, The Lightbearer Chronicles, 99 cents per book. So each book is 99 cents. That's Awakened, Transformed, and Ascended, as well as the prequel, which is Shielded. Those are all 99 cents ebooks right now on Amazon, and I did update it within Draft the Digital, so the promotion should push out to all of the various other systems for 99 cents. So if you haven't picked them up, go ahead and grab them. They're 99 cents right now. Um, I'm running a promotion with Book Barbarian right now. It's an interesting experience. I've never done this before. Just to kind of see what happens, you know, pay a one-time fee and they send out your book to their email list. So that, that went out this morning. You may have seen it if you subscribe to Book Barbarian. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see if, if how those sales roll in. So um, obviously it's not recommended to have my books at 99 cents for a long period of time, but who actually does what's recommended? <laughs> They're going to be 99 cents for the whole week, and I'll I'll make them normal priced on Friday or Saturday of this week. I haven't decided. We figure it out as we go. So that's exciting. Um, also, if you've been following up on my email list, you will see that I, <laughs> I did finish the Etcher's Plight. So that is the epic fantasy story um, clocked in at 169,000, possibly 179,000 words. I don't even recall. Too many. Let's just say that. Too many words. Uh, <laughs> but... I'm setting that aside, obviously, for for a month, but 
I randomly decided to start a new project, which is going to be, I believe, a six-book series of YA fantasy. Um, and I've already started on that. So I've written about 10,000 words of that, the first book of that series, having a blast. Obviously, it's YA, so it's a little bit different. It is first-person, um, first-person I think I've settled on present. I don't know. I may, I may go back and forth. Maybe I'll go with past, but I think it's first person present. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's six book series. I've got the titles for the six books already in my mind and I have an idea of artwork already. So I'm hoping to write that a little bit quicker because it's a little bit less heavy than a third person epic fantasy book. I'm hoping to keep the light on word count roughly 80, 90,000 would be amazing if I could do that. Um, and then, yeah, if I can get that book out of the way, the first book, maybe I can go back and edit the Etcher's Plate and work on the second book. I don't know. I, I don't know why I do this to myself, but I was really interested in the series idea that I had. And I just wrote the first chapter. I think I wrote the first 3000 words in about an hour and thought, you know, if I can, if I'm that excited about the story, can write 3000 words in an hour, then it's probably worth delving into. So that is what we're working on now in terms of author news. So that's, I believe that's everything that I can think of. Um, not much more has happened. Sounds to you listening, you may think this is a lot, but to me, it feels like it was a relatively standard week, work, week busy wise. But yeah, no other updates that I can think of. So we can go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast. J. Gabriel Gates is the author of fantasy, horror, and sci-fi books, including the Luck God series, The Lamplighters, The Sleepwalkers, and Blood Zero Sky. Hi, Jay. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Looking forward to our conversation. Uh, before we dive in, I always love to ask, how long have you been writing and publishing? Um, uh, it has been a long time. So I've been writing since I was like, it's been like probably about 18 years or so that I've been writing seriously. Um, and I was first published about 12, 13 years ago. So it's been a while. That's impressive. So the, the thing that you published that all those years ago, was this one of your first ever written books? Or did you write a lot of books that are kind of sitting in storage right now before you published that one? So my publishing story is is kind of weird, but I I, I started off writing a, a screenplay. So I had a screenplay, I had a stage play. Um, my undergraduate degree was in theater, so I had those cool. under my belt. And then I wrote a novella. I was kind of working my way up to a novel, and and then after that, I wrote a novel, uh, which didn't get published right away. Another one which did not get published right away. Um, and then through kind of a weird networking connection, I got a book deal for a book, which I actually hadn't written yet. That was mm. co-authored with somebody else. Um, and then once I sold that book to a traditional publisher, um, I pitched them a couple of the books that I had already written. And those subsequently did get published along with that trilogy that I was writing with another person. Um, so that was five books that came out and that was, you know, some years ago. So th those came out and then I didn't publish for long. I did a lot of other stuff like have a pair of twins and <laughs> kids and um, write some other stuff that I was just trying to figure out where it fit in the publishing ecosystem and in the publishing world. Um, so it took me a while to arrive to the point now where I have started my own publishing company and, and uh, gone the indie publishing route with those. So how oh, cool. So you do this full time then currently? I actually don't. I so don't. When I was traditionally published for about two years, I was um, doing that full time. Now I actually have a day job that I really love. <laughs> so, uh, which is a weird, you know, I feel like a lot of authors are like just dying to get to the point of like quitting the day job. I really, I actually really love my day job. I feel like, you know, I would have to be really, really, really just doing so well with writing that it, that I almost would have to quit before I would ever uh, quit my day job because it's really fun. I'm the executive director of an arts organization. So mm -hmm. it's it, um, stuff like booking bands, like promoting shows. We have like a music video awards show coming up with live performances and stuff. We have a youth theater that is great that my kids participate in. So, and it's, and it's fairly flexible too. So I got a pretty fun day job. So I don't know. And it is a lot of pressure as a writer when like that is where your, your mortgage payment is coming from and stuff like that. So I don't know if I want to make that leap yet. 
Well, I mean, I think the great thing is that you have that option. And then there are a lot of authors who are like, oh, I can't wait to quit my job. And I think there are a lot of authors like you. They're like, I'm fine with my day job. Everything's working fine. I'm in no rush. I don't feel the um, the race. It's not a race, but it feels like a race no matter how hard you try to make it not feel yeah. that way. And so if you like your day job, I think that's amazing. I personally like my day job as well. Um, someday would I like to not have a day job? Perhaps. I don't know. That's not my ultimate goal right this second. Right now, I'm just trying to enjoy the process, keep writing, keep publishing, um, and kind of iterate on that to improve as much as I can. And hey, if it happens someday, great. I think, like you said, quitting my job will be when um, I, it, it becomes too much work to manage the author business and I'm making enough money that I can't really do both. So if that happens someday, great. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely most of my life, I was like, my God, I must, you know, <laughs> I got to sell some books so I can quit this job, you know, like for, for most of my professional life. So it is kind of weird to be in a position of like, wow, I really love my job. So, but that's you good. Know. It is. It's a good thing. No, I'm not complaining. <laughs> good problem to have. Well, I want It's interesting talking to you because I, I have talked to some other authors who have considered themselves hybrid. Hybrid meaning you've published, you've indep independently published some books as well as traditionally published some books. Uh, I'd love to kind of pick your brain about the differences. There's obviously differences. There's pros and cons to both. I don't think one is better than the other. I think most people could say that that's generally true. Um, but I personally have not technically traditionally published anything. Um, so I don't know a lot of the pieces there. I queried about two agents before I realized this isn't for me. I just, I'm not interested in writing query letters. I'm interested in writing and publishing books. It just, it, it, there's a lot more to it than that, but I just decided not to. But for you, so first off, how many books have been published in both of those areas? Just so we can get an idea of your experience. Sure. So I have five books traditionally published, and those were published with um, HCI Books, which would be considered a mid-sized publisher. Okay. They were the original publishers of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Ah, so okay. they do generally more... Um, generally more nonfiction, self-help book kind of stuff. But at that time, they were like wanting to get into the YA market that was really kind of taking off a lot at that time. So that's how that came about. Um, they were, you know, through me and my co-author, they were dipping their toes into that market. Um, <clears throat> so th that was my traditional publishing experience, five books published through them. Uh, and then toward the end of that time, I, I got an agent um, and ha had a book project that I shopped around with her for a while. Um, and it just didn't, it didn't quite pan out at any of the publishers that we were shopping it to. She ended up leaving her agency. And so we parted ways. Um, and then after that, I was just spent, you know, I had, I had, like I said, I had my, my kids, my twins. And then I was, it just took me a long time to figure out, you know, what to do and what, you know, what to do with the books. I was still writing the whole time, but it, you know, I was trying to figure out where I fit into publishing and what I wanted to do with those books. And, and it took me quite a long time to, come around to the idea of indie publishing i think because i had you know just just that 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 mindset of needing to go the 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 traditional route you know when i was first writing um there was still a lot of that like self publishing is vanity publishing mindset out there mm -hmm. that like you know around like the year 2000 around that time like indie publishing had not taken off to the extent that it has now by any means so to me there was kind of that stigma there and i just kind of had a chip on my shoulder and thought well I, you know i'm i'm good enough i should get traditionally published and and i, I probably really craved that recognition and that validation you know of having the fancy people in new york <laughs> you know mm -hmm. say the next big thing and all that you know i mean that is kind of the dream when you're coming up as a, as a young writer but i think going through the process of being traditionally published was very eye-opening because, and what I, what I know now as an indie published writer is that you, you know, you go through all this stuff of getting an agent and getting the, the, the editor and, and, you know, connecting with the publishing house and, and getting the, the book um, out there in the world. And then, and then, you know, a year later or whatever, it finally comes out. And the end result is you find yourself in the same place, at this point, really, as an indie published book, when their when their book comes out, which is you have the same problem of like discoverability, like 
nobody knows about your book. Like, how are you going to get them to know about your book? How are you going to get them excited about it? You know, if you're, if you're traditionally published, maybe your book is on the shelf at Barnes and Noble, whereas an indie published author, it might not be, but it's still in there among, you know, 10,000 other books. So how are you going to get people to be looking for it? How are you going to get them excited about it? So you, you just have the same problem. Like, how do I connect with readers? How do I make them aware and excited. So, um, so that was, that was kind of weird to come to that realization of like, wait a minute, whichever route you take at the end of the day, you almost end up at exactly the same spot with the same, trying to solve the same problem. Mm -hmm. Which which I know is a little bit of a a surprise to some people and kind of a disappointment to to some people as well. They're hoping that if you get a publisher, you get an agent and they publish your book, it's going to be something like, you know, Harry Potter where tons and tons of advertisements that they've got this extensive marketing plan and does that happen sometimes sure sometimes depends on your publisher depends on the plan as a part of your contract uh you know i've learned a lot as listening to i listen to a bunch of podcasts about publishers and a lot of them are hybrid and they say you know it really depends on you and your book you know what's right for you and that specific book but don't expect that traditionally publishing means oh you just set it and leave it and the company takes care of it all and you sell tons of books and they do all the work most of the time it's oh no you you still have to reach out. You still have to help with the marketing. You have to find that audience. And the marketing company or your publisher does that sometimes, but you can't expect it. And that's disappointing to some people, right? Because they're hoping that they don't have to deal with marketing. Just like hand the book off and, and call it good. So did you expect that going into your traditionally publishing deals? Or was that kind of a shock to you? Like, oh, uh, I still have to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I think, it, you know, like you say, when you think about publishing or especially traditional publishing where your mind goes is these authors that are very well known you think about or even somebody who's somewhat newer you think about like victoria aviard or leah bardugo or somebody who's there but but those are the people whose books are really really being pushed by their their publishers Mm -hmm. and that is i don't know what percentage but that's maybe five percent of of books right that are really pushed to that extent um, I mean, there are definitely built-in advantages to being traditionally published. Like you can get, um, you know, more reviews and things like Publishers Weekly. They might end mm-hmm. up in libraries more, you know, more distribution, stuff like that. Um, and probably a few more, you know, blog reviews and stuff like that. But definitely the majority of books that are traditionally published do not have that kind of oomph behind them in terms of marketing. Like if you just go into Barnes and & Noble and, and pick a book at random off the shelf and look at it, probably it's a book you haven't heard of by an author you haven't heard of most likely right so the 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 percentage of books that are really getting that push are small and so i think i did have the idea um being traditionally published that i would be you know very much like sitting back dealing with the creative stuff you know and not dealing with so much the marketing end of it and when i did realize that i had to do more on the marketing end of it to get the books out there um what you discover traditionally published is that you don't have your hands on some of those levers, right? Like book two is coming out of my series and I'm like, well, we should do a, a you know, free ebook promotion for book one to get that information out there. But to do that when you're traditionally published, if your publisher doesn't do it by themselves, you have to, you know, advocate, you know, talk to the marketing department. They're going to put in. So well, at one time we had that exact same thing happen. So I talked to them. I was like, can we get it for free? They're like, okay, they get it reduced or whatever. And then like, they didn't tell us about it. So, so I followed back up. Oh, is, when is the book going to be free? And they're like, Oh, that was last week. It's like, nobody, (laughs) I couldn't promote it. Right. And then they're like, well, we can't put it for free again. So it's like, okay, that's just a missed opportunity. Right. (laughs) You know, I did a lot of Barnes and Noble signings. You know, I went to all different Barnes and Nobles throughout the state of Michigan, lots and lots of signings, um, which was great. Um, and each time I might connect with, you know, if it was a good day, maybe 20 different readers, which is, you know, pretty good to get your book in the hands of 20 people and they go out. But then when you crunch the nut and you hope that they'll stay and be readers for the future, but then you crunch the numbers like, okay, I sold 20, I was there for four hours. I sold 20 books. And then you do the math of how much money you actually take in off of that as a self-published author. And it's, I mean, it's like a couple bucks or something. You know, it's like really, so you're like, oh my gosh, I just drove across the state. I spent four hours and it was a few bucks, you know? And, and so it's like, gosh, it, it, it's just a little bit disheartening to, to, to be in that position. Um, whereas now, I mean, it, it's, it's so interesting as a self-published author, I can 
make a TikTok video, you know, if, if I get fortunate, maybe, maybe a thousand people will see it. And, you know, some people will buy it off of that from, for, you know, five, 10 minutes of my time. And I'm connecting with maybe a few hundred readers or something. So the landscape has changed so drastically, you know, with mm-hmm. the methods of discoverability that it's, I don't know, it's cool. It's a cool time to be an indie author for sure. It definitely is. And when I, it, it, my story with my decision around being an indie publisher came a lot to the creative control and coming back to your, you didn't even know your book was free situation, not having for me personally, this is why I wanted to be an independent author. I don't want to have to clear anything with anybody in terms of content, timing, promotions, those types of things. If I'm failing in my marketing, I want it to be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense? It's still in my control. It's it's a little frustrating, but at the end of the day, I know, hey, if I'm not selling books or if I'm not being successful, it's all on me. And that's okay. I recognize that. Can't blame anybody else. I I can't, you know, I'm not depending on anybody else. So there's pros and cons to that, right? Pros are creative control, it's all yours. The cons are you don't really have help. Now, marketing companies, while, you know, or not marketing companies, publishers, while maybe not. Um, they're not going to do all the work for you in terms of marketing. They do help to some degree. And in terms of production, I, based on my perception, the production in the, um, traditional versus indie looks very different first off and might alleviate some of that load that you experience in terms of an indie author. So let's talk a little bit about production. So when you traditionally publish, what is expected of you as an author, you know, in terms of costs, in terms of time, um, what does that look like compared to independently publishing your books? Sure. So for traditional publishing, yeah, that is one of the advantages is you don't have those upfront costs. You're not paying for a cover. You're not paying for the, the design and formatting of the book. Um, you ha- you're not paying for the editing. You're, so you have an editor, you have copy edit editing, you know, all that, all that stuff, you know, you will go through the, the, the process with the editor, you'll go through the proofs just like an, you know, indie published author would, but, um, all that other stuff is off your plate. So that Mm -hmm. is, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully the traditional publisher has, has a good handle on the market and a, a good cover designer and stuff like that. Um, so ideally that, that is something that's, that's off your plate and that's good. But the flip side is then you don't have any control right? Mm-hmm. You might have some input. Like when I was traditionally published, I had some input because um, it was more of a medium-sized publisher, but largely, um, you know, they're they're in the driver's seat of that. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I have a story about that too. I, I don't want to throw my my publishers under the bus before because they, they were great. They really did, did their best and worked hard. Yeah. But so we had a case where, and I can show you for those who are watching on video, you can see the cover of this, this book, uh, Dark uh-huh. Territory. Um, so it was kind of, you know, and again, when this came out, which was 2000, what, 2000, 2011, it was, it was a little different, like cover with the people on it and stuff like that. And so we were like, eh, like the author and I, uh, co-author and I got the, the, the cover and we're like, well, we don't know. Like it's different. We're like either, you know, it's, it's not the same as the other things in the market. So either maybe people will like it or maybe not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so they um the publisher gave the book cover to Barnes and Noble, the Barnes and Noble buyer, and they were like, We don't like the cover. <laughs> at this point, and so like the 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 um publisher tells us this, like, yeah, the Barnes and Noble buyer doesn't like the cover. We're kind of like, eh. well, they're like, What do you guys think? We're like, Well, it's concerning that the Barnes and Noble people don't like it. At the end of the day, the publisher decided to keep that cover because it was like that they were already far along in the process. Um but I think the Barnes and Noble buyers were right. You know what I mean? It probably would have done better with a different cover. And in fact, the subsequent books in the series had a little different, you know, style. Oh, of yeah. Um, which I think is better, right? But but again, so you are traditionally published and you think, oh, like these are the experts. I'm going to trust them. You know, like your, your instinct is like, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to step on toes. Like this is my first book or whatever. I'm going to let them, let the professionals do what they do. Um, but they are not always right. And especially if you know your genre, as you really should as a, as a writer, you should know your genre um, even you know better than some of the experts at the publishing company. And so when you're when you're indie published, you are empowered to make those decisions for yourself. And personally, I discovered that I love publishing. Like I love the format, the formatting of my books. I do it with Vellum. I love that. I love working with the cover designer to get just the cover that I want. Um, and I love just the feeling of having that book in your hand and just knowing kind of end to end that you're 
responsible for every element of it. I just feel really proud. And it's, it's something that surprised me. It, it, you know, it's a lot of fun. So there's a lot to unpack there and I don't want to, there's a lot of questions flowing in my mind in terms of that story. You know, I think it can be said that once again, it does depend on your publisher and I don't want anybody to listen to this, think that this is traditionally published bashing because it's not. Sometimes it works for people. Sometimes, in fact, I've talked to authors who they've indicated, you know, my life is insane right now. I've got lots going on. I, I write because I'm passionate about it. I can't, I don't have time to to find an editor to find a cover artist i don't have a lot of time to do those things so i need help and that's great you know they're offloading a lot of that work to their traditional publisher and that works they have an agent and it helps with that situation um in terms of indie publishing i I can attest to the satisfaction of doing those things i'll admit at first when you when you're doing your first book you're bashing your head against the wall trying to get the kdp previewer to load or your cover to be the right specifications or the right size or and it, it feels a little frustrating but i promise you after you've done your first book it gets way easier you just know what you're doing. You're like, oh yeah, vellum, super easy. Uploading to these systems, super easy. You just find a process, but that first time, it's hard. And then, and then the satisfaction starts coming after that. So try not to feel frustrated if you're in the indie publishing or you're publishing your first book self-published. You'll figure it out. Just be patient. Yeah, yeah I agree. Building those processes at the beginning it is hard, especially if you're like, okay, building an email list, building a mm-hmm. website, building. Uh, um, you know, getting, figuring out the process for covers, like finding your editor, all those things, it is a lot, but it's true. Once you have those things in place, it, it can kind of ride a little bit, but definitely at the beginning, you're like, holy cow, I, it, it's, yeah, it's a heavy lift to yep. put all that together. But also, I mean, one thing that changed too, from when I was first traditionally published to now is my mindset. I think I had a weird mindset at that time also of like, I don't know, wanting to keep myself pure as an artist. I almost like didn't want to get far into marketing or too far into other things. I wanted to, because I was afraid it was going to take me away from the writing somehow. But in the interim from then to now, I've discovered I I enjoy things like social media. Um, And and now it's like, I want to learn more. It's like, I want to, I've learned a lot about graphic designer. So I'm like, to now it's like, Ooh, I'm going to make my own, um, ad, you know, on Canva or whatever. Oh, I want, I want to update my own website. I want to have control over all these things. I want to do the formatting myself. And, uh, and now I enjoy it. So I don't know why I had that weird mindset before, but that'd be definitely also a piece of advice to authors. Like, don't be afraid to like, just learn stuff and be empowered to do it yourself. It doesn't detract from your, you as an artist, you know? Right. Well, and I think that stigma still exists around self-publishing and traditional publishing, but it is interesting the the type of media you consume and the, the things that you experience, because I actually never was affected by the, oh, I think self-published books are not as good as traditional book stigma. And that's not, um, this isn't virtue signaling or anything. It's mainly because I was, I was removed from it. I just read books as a, as a kid, as a teenager. I had no idea that self-publishing was even a thing. I just read books. And then when I got into publishing, once again, I didn't even know self-publishing was a thing until I was talking to my editor and she was like, how do you plan on publishing this? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I actually have no idea. I had, to, I wasn't on social media or anything. It was later after I published my first book that I was hearing all these things around, you know, what still exists of self-publishing isn't as good as traditional publishing. And it was kind of news to me. I was like, I have never thought about that. I didn't even know that was the thing. And so it's interesting coming up from the other side, not having that impression. I didn't have a lot of reservations around self-publishing. I was just like, I just don't feel like dealing with people. I like people to be fair, but I didn't want to deal with agents, publishers, I just didn't want to do it. And so I didn't even care. It doesn't bother me that my books are self-published. So it's, it's interesting though, because that is a realistic stigma. And I know that's a fear for some people, um, but it's just, it doesn't necessarily have to be true. It really comes down to the work you put into it, the cover artists you find, the editors you hire, the actual, you know, beta arc readers, all of these things, these processes you put into place can make a self-published book as good, if not better than a traditionally published book. So, um, comparing the two is just kind of silly because content is content and art is art. So at the end of the day, it comes down to preference, you know, what's easier for you. Does it make sense to have this contract with the publisher? Does it not? I think those are the real questions to be asking, but for you, this is kind of a random question, but around contracting, did you find the the contracting piece difficult when you were going to traditionally publishing? Did they help you understand the contract you were signing with them? Were you confused during that process at all? Um, 
No. So my, my co-author in that series um, had, had, had a number of books published previously. So she was a little bit experienced. Um, I just did a little bit of research. It was not a super complex contract that they offered Mm. us. It was a a pretty fair contract. They weren't trying to take advantage of us by any means. So um, that aspect of it wasn't too hard. And we did, we negotiated a couple little aspects of it, but they, they were fair with their contract and it was pretty, pretty understandable. Um, even though I did not have an agent at that time, um, it, that, that part of it really wasn't a problem, but I, I think, I mean, I definitely would caution people, especially just in general, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's good to have, if you're going to go the traditional route, if you can have an agent that you work with, that is ideal, but obviously that's a whole other nut to crack, <laughs> right. That's really, really difficult. But one other thing I wanted to say I was thinking about as you were talking is about like the stigma and around mm-hmm. self-publishing versus traditional. And one of the reasons why it took me so long, I think, to come around to being an indie published author is that I, for me, being traditionally published, it wasn't so much like, it was a feeling of like um, indie published authors almost like cut in line, you know, mm-hmm. because sure. in, 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 in a sense, that they are right. And and I am yeah. now an indie published author because like for anyone who's gone through the querying process, I mean, you can spend years querying mm-hmm. agents, right? And then once that agent gets your book, they can spend a year pitching to editors, you know? And so it's, it, it's, um, it's so much um, work to get to that point. And then once you get an editor, they, it might take a year for your book to come out. So, I mean, you might've invested a year or two just in that process and you do feel proud of yourself uh, along the way, which by the way, anybody who does get an, an agent, like congratulations, you probably earned it, right? You're probably a great writer. Anyone who does get a traditional publishing deal, you know what? They probably did write a, a great book. So that's that's valid. But I think for me, I felt like, okay, I, I did this. I, I proved myself all along the way. And now kind of like what I was saying before, it's like, gosh, now we're all in the same place. Now I'm like competing against these people who didn't, you know, get the validation along the way that I did. So it's just interesting being on the other side of that now where I'm like, yeah, that's an advantage. You know, you you do not have to wait in line for some agent to validate your work or for some editor to to validate it. Um, You can just put it out there and and let the readers decide, you know, so... um, but I, but when I was a traditionally published author, I had some frustration of that because I'm like, gosh, I'm lumped in with all these people that just put their book out and it may be a great book and it may be a not great book, you know, but it, it, I felt like it was like somehow detracting from my sense of validation, you know, like now we're, we're, we're both authors, but I went through all this and they didn't, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's just part of unpacking that, that yeah. stigma that exists, you know. And then that's an important thing to think about. I think a lot of people don't realize the time it takes to completion through traditional publishing. I mean, it can it can also take a long time to independently publish something. But once again, that's in your control. How long it takes depends on you and your time. Traditionally published is kind of out of your hands. It takes you have to follow whatever process they're going through. And if it's fast, great. If it's not, then I've heard some people say it took three to five years before their book was even published and to them that was frustrating some people they didn't mind they're like i don't care i'm in no rush cool right just just recognize the the bit of timing is out of your control through traditionally published kind of at the behest of other people um so that's an interesting point to think about because like i said i've never experienced that. i've just heard of other people experiencing that just making sure your expectations are realistic about whichever route you choose um or of course you don't have to choose a route individually you can do both i know plenty of authors traditionally publish some books maybe a genre and then they self-publish other bits of it and that works i think that's amazing um so for you now that you've had the experience of both and you you know you're in the throng of self-publishing right now do you ever anticipate traditionally publishing anything again or is that kind of i don't know we'll see how it happens what are your thoughts around your future with publishing books yeah i would say i i am never again going to ask or beg permission <laughs> to, oh. to put my art in front of people, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going to be, you know, knocking on the doors of gatekeepers anymore, because now that I'm at the point of just being able to put my stuff in front of readers, like, why would I go back to that? Yeah. Sure. Now, that's, that's, that's not to say that if somebody approached me and it was the right opportunity, I might not say yes. I mean, I would assess that 
as it came, you know, um, and I, you know, it does happen that people are indie publishing and a traditional publisher will, will come to them and, um, and, and it, and it might make sense to, to do that because again, that does put your book into different places potentially, especially if they're really mm-hmm. going to put, you know, you might end up more in libraries, you might end up in bookstores more, um, you might end up on the shelf at Target or whatever if if they're really going to 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 push you and put some marketing oomph behind you. And then you could even take take that extra audience that you get, and then your next book series might be indie published again, and you would have gained all that exposure along the way. So definitely never say never, but I love the indie life. I'm kind of like you. I don't dislike people, but I definitely don't, I, I definitely like the independence of not having mm-hmm. to ask somebody um, permission for, for everything or, ha- or getting somebody else checking off everything for me or not having control over certain aspects of it. Like I like to be the boss of mm-hmm. my art. Yeah. And that's what you get to be. That, that's what I love, you know? Absolutely. So I will say, I will, I will add a little bit of a caveat for those of you that are listening, because I will say that in terms of value, you mentioned validation a little bit earlier. Um, there, There is definitely a sense of validation that comes from a traditionally published deal. And I've talked to a lot of indie authors who've never traditionally published. I've talked to a lot of authors who've, who have just traditionally published. But like I said, you're kind of the first that's really in the, the hybrid space. But, you know, the one thing that they all say is, Traditionally published, there is a sense of, hey, someone else already validated that this book is great, or they think it can sell, or they think it's amazing. And as an author, that's really validating. When you self-publish, it's kind of quiet, right? It's quiet Mm -hmm. until you start to see reviews, until you start to hear from readers. And if you're not getting that immediately, sometimes it is hard to feel like you've written anything that's of, of any worth. You know, it's just like, oh... I thought I thought it was good. You know, you have a couple, you know, two, three people, maybe some of them are family members, maybe some people you don't know. They're like, oh, I really like this. But then if it doesn't continue, it's just like, oh, I don't know. The validation feels a little bit not there. So just be aware of that. It doesn't mean that what you've written is not good. Um, and it doesn't mean that traditional publishing is the only way to get that validation, but it can be an effective way to feel validated as an author, to feel like someone values your work and that you're doing a good job. So if that's something that you're seeking for, you know, perhaps traditionally publishing route is, is the best for you, especially if you're not in any hurry, you don't mind relinquishing some of that control and you like that author validation. Cool. Um, so I just want to highlight that because I know that that is a positive for some people and that's why they love the traditionally publishing route. I think that's amazing. If that helps you feel motivated, creative and keep writing, then, you know, you do what's what makes sense for you. I think that's a good point. And I, I think the flip side of it is also true, though, with um querying you know and querying sure. um where you can get a lot of rejection you sure. know that's true un- i mean if you want to be rejected query some agents you know because you you could i mean you could rack up so many rejections that way um and you could have the opposite feeling i mean you could have a book that readers really love and enjoy and appreciate and you can i'll tell you from experience you can rack up some some rejections from literary agents with that just because, you know, for, for and I, you know, like a, a friend of mine, Carrie Howland is a literary agent. I, I I do workshops with her and stuff and have chatted with her a lot of times. But, you know, when, when a literary agent takes on a book, you know, most established agents only take on a couple of clients a year. And they might be, you know, they might, they might work on that book with you for six months before it even goes out. And then it might be on submission for another six months. So they're they're picking you to to work like a year of their life on your your book right so they do not take that on lightly and so it has to really align with them you know what i mean so you can have a great book that's well written that's an interesting concept that it, and if it just doesn't quite align with something that these agents want to spend a year of their life working on it, you can get rejected and all you see is that rejection, right? They oftentimes mm-hmm. don't do a lot of detail. It's just like, sorry, it's not a good and rejection. Yep. Yeah. It's, and, and, and you're like, what? Like, and then you start racking those up and you're like, what do you mean? It's not a good fit, but there's so many variables as to why it might not be a good fit, you know, because they're really curating a list. And I see this as the, the executive director of an arts organization when I'm like curating a season of band performances, right? Mm-hmm. Um, artists coming in um it's like yeah when you're curating a list you know you might get a lot of great um 
possible things coming through, but you're trying to get a specific thing. You know, you might be like, eh, you know, I already have a, uh, you know, this particular kind of sci-fi in, so I'm not going to do another one of those to be competing with it. Or you might, somebody might say, I have 10 female authors on my list. I'd like to have at least one male author, right? So then if you're a female author submitting, you might be less likely to be picked up at that time by that agent because they're just trying to like round out their their list and, and yeah. have it a little bit equitable. So, and, you know, in terms of publishing too, with traditional publishing, there's, there's different um, calculations. Like they might look like an agent and by extension, the editor of the publishing house might look at a book in a certain genre and say, you know, we only think we could probably sell 5,000 copies of, of, of this particular type of book, even though it's great and well-written. So therefore we're not going to pick it up. Mm. Whereas as an indie, you know, you're going to indie publish it. You might say 5,000. That's great. I'm going to, I'm going to publish it and put it out. You know, that, that'd mm-hmm. be great for me to sell 5,000 copies. So it's, it's just, just a different calculus. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, one thing I found like, so after my traditionally published books came out and then I had an agent one of the things she was shopping for me was a um, YA horror book. And there is like kind of a school of fish kind of thinking that happens in publishing sometimes where like at that time, somebody had come out a couple of years before that with a um, YA horror book that the publisher had paid a lot of advance on and it didn't sell well. And so there was just this mindset across the publishing houses and by extension, the agents of like, why a horror is a tough sell. And so even this agent was like, ah, we're going to pitch it as like dark fantasy because why a horror is like, mm. and I'm thinking like, wait a minute, you're telling me teenagers don't like horror. Like, I mean, really like that doesn't make any sense. Like mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. teenagers do like horror, but, but it was just like this group think like mindset, mm-hmm. you know, that can be a play too. And you can be totally unaware of it when you're going in, just pitching your idea you know, there may be a mindset stacked against you that you just don't even know. Or like everyone that like publishing has decided vampires are out this year. Like, nope, we're not doing any vampires. <laughs> we too many vampires last year. Like, is it is it true that readers don't like vampires anymore? Like, I think not. Like people still like vampires, but publishing has decided, you know, next year is the year of the zombie. Last year was the year of the vampire. So we're moving on. So, um, yeah, it's in, it's been interesting to see all that at play. Well, and I think so. There's there's so much said there. But first, first off, I just want to iterate the querying process is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> uh, you know, some people receive literally hundreds of rejections, and that can be pretty debilitating to creativity sometimes, you know, if you can't handle that. Um I know that I wouldn't have been able to handle that. Like, I just know myself. And I was like, no, I just, I'm not going to deal with that. That's why I queried two, twice. I didn't even receive rejections. They were just like, we're not, we're not accepting submissions at this time. But I knew then I was like, this isn't, I'm not going to do this. But second, yeah, the, the other thing, the creative control piece of it is, yeah, I want to write what I want to write. And the success of what I write is going to partially depend on market conditions. And that's okay. I recognize that, but I want to be restricted. Right. Because I do believe that there's audiences for everything. Sometimes you just have to find them. So it might not be the the mass audience, you know, say vampires or zombies or whatever. That might not be the thing this year, but it doesn't mean there aren't still hundreds of thousands of readers who still like to read that. Right. And I think that's the hard thing is understandably so. And traditionally published probably traditional publishers are looking for those books that will make them a lot of money. They're thinking and they're watching the market conditions you know, they may not know everything. Like you said, that sometimes they're mistaken, but still that does prevent them from accepting you. Or I've heard of some authors say they're the publishers demand that they change what they write. And it's like, I don't really want a publisher telling me, no, you need to write more X or you need to add X type of content to your books, whatever it is. Um, when I don't feel comfortable with that, or I don't want to add that, I don't want a publisher trying to force that on me. So just be aware that that does happen. They they will ask you or or not not force you, but they will ask you to write certain things because it's best for the market as they perceive it. So yeah, that's totally right. That. Yeah, that's a rabbit hole you can go down. And I've I've done that a little bit too with an agent who you know read read my book and gave feedback, and then I, I like I was rewritten a whole book, you know, in response to that feedback, and then you get the next round of feedback or whatever, and you're like you know, they just didn't really get it the first time or, you know, or like it just maybe wasn't quite their thing the first time. So they're trying to make it the thing that is their thing. 
So yeah, I mean, that's, that's something to be careful of. And again, something you don't have to worry about when you're indie published um, because I, generally I think the, the initial vision, you know, something close to the initial vision is, is probably the correct vision of, of for what you're trying to create. Cause you could just, I mean, you could spin your wheels forever just trying to mm-hmm. revive something and make it into something different, you know? So yeah, something to watch out for. So, so much to look into, but um, I, I, we could probably talk about the differences, pros and cons of traditionally and self-published. I may traditionally publish someday. I don't know. My current circumstances, I, I would prefer to continue self-publishing. The five books I've published so far, I'm loving. I have no need to traditionally publish. I did sign a contract with like a, a fledgling publisher to co-author a trilogy with someone, but it's it's kind of like a it's brand new publishing house so it's still in infancy and i'm only doing it for fun um more than anything i've never co-authored a book before so it's kind yeah. of fun so far um but in any case uh before we end here i always love to ask where can people find more information about uj and your books and upcoming books as well sure so my website is jgabrielgates.net and you can find all of my books and info on there. I'm on TikTok a lot. That's that's where we met. Thanks for mm-hmm. being my uh, TikTok homie. I enjoy mm-hmm. seeing your on there. So I'm on TikTok a lot. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I am on Twitter, but very, very, very rarely on 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 Twitter. But best place to find me probably uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Awesome. Well, very good. Thank you so much for your time. This has been great. I had a great chat. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, when it comes to publishing independently or traditionally, I think, you know, there's a lot of it comes down to preference. There are pros and cons to both. But keep in mind, if you're writing a book and trying to decide, weigh those pros and cons and decide, hey, where do you want to focus your attention? Where do you want to focus your time and money? And then, you know, look at the pros and cons list. There's There's a lot to look at. Of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this will be up on YouTube, so you'll find it on YouTube and all over the internet. Um, feel free to comment, say hello, let me know what you think. If you'd like to join me on the podcast, go ahead and head over to currently www.dankennerbooks.com slash podcast, or I'm trying to work on making it www.dankenner.com slash podcast, having a little bit of a, a, a website switch snafu right now, but give, give those both a try. Um, fill in your pitch. Let me know if you want to join me and it would be great to have you. Thanks again. See you next week. Bye.